Amen. Aren't these, aren't these folks a blessing, folks? Again, let's say thank you to them. Thank you, brothers and sisters, for doing this every Wednesday night. Good to see all of you tonight. If you have your Bibles, Philippians chapter 3 is where we'll be going. Good to see you. We're all back in here. This isn't quite like the choir room, is it? We have a little bit more room, so here we are. All right, if you didn't pick up the outline, make sure you do. Uh, we'll, we're going to pick back up in our studies in the book of Philippians. And uh, uh, good to see all of you tonight. We'll be focusing on verses 4 through 16. Those of you who are watching us tonight, God bless you. Uh, we miss you that you're not able to be with us, but we're glad that you are joining us uh, uh, electronically and again uh, let me just uh, briefly say to you, you know, the, my main ministry here at the church is uh, the ministry of the Word. That's my responsibility, and I'm grateful that you've given me the opportunity to do that. And we started today our time in the Word at uh, noonday on Wednesdays. Just again, just a reminder, some of you are very active uh, on, uh, on uh, the Internet, and you share with your friends. So you can do me a favor. You can do us a favor. We're using... Wednesdays, uh, noondays, Wednesdays from 12 to 12.30 to uh, try to get some of our people to encourage their co-workers to sit down with them at lunch, if that's when they can take their lunch, or whenever they can. It is recorded on our uh, Facebook page and also on YouTube, uh, our YouTube page, and listen to what we have to say. These days we're talking on Wednesdays at noon about uh, persisting under pressure, and there's not any person in this room Who's not dealing with that very thing? So again, this is a part of uh, my burden for us to uh, perhaps reach out to some others who, you know, they're not, they're not in church right now. I'm not as interested in, I'm, I'm happy if, they, if somebody joins us who goes somewhere else, but I'm really hoping that we can reach out to some of our friends who we know are uh, living in sadness and sorrow and are not persisting under pressure. They're not enduring and they've forgotten the promise of that. So anyway, uh, if you can, join me in that. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the opportunity we have together in this place tonight. It is a privilege for us here as we start summertime. And we thank you for the ministries that go on in this building, in this place, on this campus. We pray for boys and girls who Brother Ken leads, and we thank you for the opportunity to teach them the Word of God and to be an encouragement to their parents and grandparents and stand with them as they seek to bring their children up in uh, the fear and instruction of the Lord. We pray for our students tonight. We thank you for Brother Tim's ministry and all of our dear people who work there and all the Bible studies of our church being blessed with such good uh, biblical Bible teachers, and we thank you for that. So now we gather in this place tonight. We bring our divided minds to you and our distractions. We've all had them today. We've all had our own challenges today. Some for us, it's a good day. Some of us, it's been a hard day, but every day is a good day as we follow Jesus Christ. Today is the day of salvation. Today is the day we serve you. I pray that you've been pleased with our lives today. I pray that you've been pleased with what we've said and what we've done and what we've thought. Now we pause to pray for that one person that is a burden to us tonight. 
We present that person before you tonight and we ask that you might work in their lives according to whatever they need, if it might be to be drawn to you to be saved or to come back to you and repent of being in carnality and wickedness and living in anger and despair, whatever the condition they may be in, very sick and to raise them up. We pray for your will to be done in their lives and that they might sense and know that you are at work in their lives and that they might glorify you and thank you for whatever they're going through. We ask that you'd help us to do the same thing. To give thanks to you, knowing that the will of God is happening in our lives, whatever it is, good and bad. And we thank you for that. We do ask tonight that you would help us, forgive us of our sins, and as James teaches us and calls us to do, instructs us to receive the implanted Word of God, and that we might hear it, and believe it and then live it. May that come to be true for each of us here tonight, regardless of how much we know about the Word of God. May our lives glorify you, and we're reminded, Lord, tonight of the shortness of life. This is one more Wednesday night that we'll not have again in our lives. So may we May we cherish each day and make the most for living for Jesus Christ. Holy Spirit of God, be our teacher tonight and help us to understand your word, for we need it desperately tonight in Jesus' name. Amen. So we read first of all, we'll pick up in verse number 3. Well, just for the sake of getting it together, we start in chapter 3, verse 1. We looked two weeks ago at verses 1 through 3. Finally, brethren... Rejoice in the Lord to write the same things again to you is no trouble. It is actually a safeguard for you. Beware of the dogs. Beware of the evil workers. Beware of the false circumcision. For we are the true circumcision who worship in the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. We'll come back to verse 3 as a, as a transition for what we talk about tonight. Paul says, Although I myself might have confidence even in the flesh, even if anyone has a, a mind to put confidence in the flesh, I far more. Circumcised the eighth day of the nation of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law of Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to the Righteousness which is in the law found blameless. But, 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 whatever things were gained to me, those things I have counted as loss for the sake of Christ more than that, I count all things to be loss in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and count them but rubbish, so that I may gain Christ and may be found in Him, not having a righteousness of my own derived from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which comes from God on the basis of faith, that I may know Him and the power of His resurrection and the fellowship of His sufferings being conformed to His death in order 
that I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. Not that I have already obtained it or have already become perfect, but I press on so that I may lay hold of that for which also I was laid hold of by Christ Jesus. Brethren, I do not regard myself as having laid hold of it yet, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and reaching toward what lies ahead. I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let us therefore, as many as are perfect, have this attitude. And if in anything you have a different attitude, God will reveal that also to you. However, let us keep living by that same standard to which we have attained. Now, Heavenly Father, bless the reading of your word. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Tonight, the focus is this, that the believer must press on or run, uh, run in faith. Tonight we talk about running in faith, not walking in faith. The believer must press on in faith, expectant of complete conformity to Christ in the resurrection that is coming. So tonight we talk about another attitude. Uh, what did Paul say to us that we must do in uh, Philippians 2.5? Have this attitude. Uh, the Greek word for attitude that we use here is an interesting word. Um, phroneo, it is an idea that has to do with setting an opinion. It really is a word about conviction. It's a, it's a mental word. It's a mental word that describes being, having conviction. I wonder tonight if you have conviction in your life. Are you, are you living by Christian convictions that are based upon Christ's likeness? Well, tonight we talk about the attitude of being committed, living with a... a, uh, a this, this picture here, Paul, if you read these words carefully, they are uh, his testimony of his earnest desire... His uh, earnest desire to be completely conformed to Christ. We're called not to be uh, conformed to the world. That's the demand of the world. You know that. Uh, that's why we're the church called out of the world. You know the demand of the world is you talk like the world. You think like the world. You believe like the world. You act like the world. You look like the world. That's what the world expects. That is the demand on you. You must conform to the world. The world demands conformity. But Paul here talks about this other matter, this, this press upon his life. Not only, does he, not only does he remind the Philippians, as I remind this church, of the importance of our having a conviction to have humility, the, hum, the humility of Christ, but also the attitude of earnestly desiring, listen, complete complete conformity to Jesus Christ. Now, I'm talking about you. I'm talking about your life, that you now live the remainder of your life with this, this uh, urgency. Running is an urgent thing. It's an urgent matter. It's not walking, it's running. It's interesting to think about running in the Word of God. I 
do Bible study with some of our uh, men and uh, we were reading not long ago. It's a great verse. Uh, it needs to be explored some more. Psalm 119.32 I shall run the way of your commandments for you will enlarge my heart. That's a great passage. Psalm 119.32 I wonder tonight, what are you running after? Now we all have little boys and girls either as uh, great-grandchildren, grandchildren or children. And I, I, I'm fond of the little ones we have in our uh, life, uh, to, Pat and I have in our life these days. Uh, they run to things. So you go to the, you go to the um, park and they run, as soon as the car doors, they run to the, to the um, slide and to the things. They run. There is watching a child run something that reminds us of their, their excitement uh, about where they're going. You, you tell them you're going to go. You explain you're going to go to the park. And when you get to the park, you can hardly get them out of their seats or whatever. And they're gone. They just go. They run. So tonight we talk about the believers running with an urgency, with an expectation, with an excitement. Listen, to be completely conformed to Christ. And so Paul is our example tonight. He says in verse 3, as I've mentioned to you, this is, this is what it means. To, this is the true circumcision, Paul says. And I won't elaborate again on that like we did before. He, he describes the true circumcision those who are in true covenant with God, those who have made the true commitment, those who have had their hearts circumcised by the Holy Spirit, they do three things. They worship in the Spirit of God. They glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. So then Paul begins to describe, first of all, his past confidence in the flesh. Past, Paul was a superstar, trained by Gamaliel. He was on the top of the list. He was at the top of the class of the, of the up-and-coming Pharisees. And the Pharisees, uh, if, in all fairness, were those who were the separatists, those who were very serious about holiness, those who were very, very serious about the Word of God, and were meticulous in their understanding, their memorization, and their taking in of the Word of God. So, uh, lest we, and yes, they were, they, were not, they were not able to see, we'll see it again Sunday, the sadness of their unbelief in rejecting the Lord Jesus Christ. But nevertheless, the, the Pharisees are to be uh, appreciated for their commitment to the Word of God. And yet we learn from them the danger of legalism and hypocrisy and missing the truth when we're in the Word of God. So... A lot of things there, but Paul describes his past confidence. He had, a lot of, he had a lot of things he could brag about. He lists them here. I myself might have confidence even in the flesh. If anyone else has a mind to put confidence in the flesh, I far more. The point of it is Paul saying, I used to have. I used to be a really self-righteous, self-confident person. Uh, what does he say? Well, he was, he was a circumcised child of Israel of the tribe of Benjamin. He was a Hebrew of Hebrews. He was at the top of the class. He was serious about his commitment to Jesus Christ. Notice what he says. He says, not only that, but he was 
toward the law. He was a Pharisee. His, he reverenced the law of God. He recognized the importance of, of Torah. He, he put it in his mind, in his heart. He was familiarized deeply with the Word of God. He was a Pharisee. He was toward the law, one who honors and recognized and reverenced the law of God. He was zealous. He was a man of zeal. And he was so zealous for his, for his uh, Hebrew heritage and the law of God, he was a persecutor of the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. And all of us in this room, I know who's here tonight, you know those stories in the early book of Acts. Paul did some very damaging things. He was there at the stoning of Stephen, if, if perhaps himself throwing stones. We don't know. The fact of the matter is, uh, Paul was a very harsh critic and a real real enemy to the early church of the Lord Jesus Christ. But then he met the Lord Jesus on the road and he was never the same because he was saved. He was righteous in, obe in obeying the law. He says here uh, in uh, verse number 6, "...as to zeal to persecute the church and as to righteousness, which is in the law, that is obeying the law, doing the laws of..." You know, whatever they may be, from ceremonial laws to all the rest, he was going to temple, practices, all the rest. He was found blameless. Not that he was perfect, but that he was blameless in his commitment to obey the law of God. So Paul had this religious background, this heritage of God's people uh, and all the blessings of what God had revealed to the children of Israel, uh, the sons of Abraham, and so Paul had much to be uh, proud about. But then we see this transition, and this is, I emphasized it as I was reading. And, and I want to point this out to you. You know, it's important for you to see your, uh, in, your, um, uh, in your Bible the grammar and how things flow. He makes the statement in verse 7, but uh, something happened to him. He was saved, and as a result of being saved, whatever things were gained to me, those things I have counted as lost for the sake of Christ. Notice that statement. That summarizes where he was as a result of being saved. I wonder tonight, is this true for you in your life? Have you counted everything else that you have gained as loss? How do you compare gains and losses? Well, whatever things were gained to me, those things I count as loss. Why? For the sake of Christ. This is the picture, folks. Paul considered his past confidence in his flesh and his achievements as loss for the confidence of gaining Christ. That's the beauty. That's the joy of this. What is really gain and what is really loss? This becomes important for all of us. What is it that you live to gain and what is it that you count as loss? You know, there are some who try to, they're saved, but they still try to hold on to their personal achievements and their, and their accomplishments. This happens in ministry. People do ministry and yet they forget that they do their ministry as a servant and slave of the Lord Jesus Christ. Not for personal recognition and gain. Not for personal achievement and personal success and personal wellness and all the rest. No, no, no. No, Paul says, what, but whatever things were gained to me, 
Those things I have counted as loss for the sake of Christ. What did you count as gain before you came to know Christ? Being recognized as intelligent, being smart, being having a... You can make your own list. Those are the things we placed our confidence in. And some have placed their confidence, as I've repeatedly said, and I'm burdened about this because it is an important matter, of those who believe that they're saved when they're not saved, but they think because of their Baptist heritage, I'll just pick on Baptist tonight, because they have a Baptist heritage, they're saved. It makes no difference. It's a personal matter whether you know the Lord Jesus Christ. It's a personal matter whether you've put aside your confidence in yourself and surrendered yourself and said, I can't save myself, I can't do anything to be right with God, and you've humbled yourself and you've, you've put it all aside and said, all of these things that I had in my life that I thought mattered, now that I know Jesus Christ to be saved, I give them all away. They don't matter anymore. Uh, there was a man who was talking, and he was not a Christian. He was a sports fellow talking one day about uh, uh, athletes uh, who, who were committed Christians. Now, I'm about to say something that's interesting. This, this is a lost man saying this. He said, well, you know, Jesus Christ has ruined a lot of good athletes. Did you hear what I said? Well, he got it. That's right. The Lord Jesus Christ will ruin a lot of good business people. The Lord Jesus Christ will ruin a lot of good musicians. Because all of those things don't matter once you come to know Christ. It doesn't matter. It's a heap of mess. It's a waste of time. You see, everything changes when you come to know. I'm talking about when you're truly saved. Now, there are those who, like little children, you know, you give them something in this hand and they want it in this hand. My little grandson went to a place and he learned, I told my daughter, you have ruined this kid. He goes to the Easter egg hunt and they put candy in the egg. Oh, Pat has some little eggs. He, this kid's ruined. He wants, he wants M&Ms in his egg. And so he comes and says, Two, two, two. He wants it one in each side of his little egg. That's the way we are sometimes in our life if we're not saved. Well, we still want Jesus, but we still want all of our little things. Paul's statement here is one that describes being truly saved. Count. I gave you the Greek word, therefore. It means to consider or to think. He says, whatever things were gained to me, these things I now think about or consider as a loss. The word gain is to acquire. But whatever things were acquired I, that I have gained favor, in fact, that I have this, I've acquired, I have acquisition. Whatever things I've acquired to me, these things now, I, they're not of any value. Here you can have them all. And then he goes into this long sentence. From verse 8 all the way to verse 11. You have to read it together in order to get it, but then this is Paul. We have to take him apart, don't we? We have to take and break down what he says more than this, more than just this statement. So if the first statement is, first level of running toward expecting complete conformity to Christ is this matter of 
considering loss everything you had before you came to know Christ. Second, more than that. Now he's raising it. I have counted, second counting, I, the second way that I have considered these things, all things to be lost in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. You see, this is the normal Christian life. I, you know, someone reads this sometime, I've heard some people preach this as if, well, this is Paul the superstar Christian. No, he's just like us. He's describing the normal desires of one who is saved, who has in their heart. Listen, what the Holy Spirit of God does in our hearts is He gives us the desire and ambition to be completely conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. And it starts the day you got saved. And if you've not been taught or led to learn how to develop into conformity to Christ. Well, that's the church's fault and we're responsible for that. And leaders will be accountable for that. But this is, the, this is what Paul's saying. First, whatever was gained to me before I was saved, it's, it's, I count it loss. More than that, I count all things to be lost because of the surpassing value of knowing Jesus Christ, my Lord. For whom, please look at verse 8, I have suffered the loss of all things. That's what I meant earlier. Jesus Christ has ruined some good athletes. <laughs> and I count them but rubbish so that I may gain Christ. Is that the way you think and talk? I'm a Christian. Okay. Well, how much have you considered all the things you have versus knowing Jesus Christ? What really matters the most? Is your Christian life real? Is it real? You see, this is the thinking. This is the attitude. This is, that, this is that conviction we're feeling in Paul's words here. It's a deep conviction. He considers all things in his past lost because of his knowledge to know Christ. He considers suffering the loss of all things that he's lost and suffered. He's lost reputation. He's lost uh, financial support. He's lost, you know... His family support, many of them. He's lost all kinds of things. The respect of all of those who were the religious leaders. He's lost all of these things. But they're rubbish to him because, notice, first it's for the sake of Christ, verse 7. And verse 8, secondly, it's to gain Christ. To gain Him. And again, he uses this word. To gain. And that is this to acquire favor and fellowship with Jesus Christ. I ask this church all the time, and I ask you again tonight, do you know the sweetness and joy of walking with Jesus Christ? Is talking about Jesus Christ a, uh, an intellectual thing for you? Are, are you doing this like going to school? Or is it real? Is it that you have, a, you have met Jesus Christ and now you'll give up everything to have a growing, gaining development of knowing Him and being like Him? You know, the more you're with people, the more you are like them. That's why some of you people who've been married a long time can answer the question for your spouse. You can answer it for them. You've been together so long. In fact, I don't want to scare you. Some of you look a lot alike after you've been married a long time. 
When you're with somebody that you admire and love, you, you pick up from them. You want more from them. And so here we see Paul's desire. Now the long sentence goes on. More than that, I count all things lost in the view of surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whom I've suffered the loss of all things. I count them all but rubbish so that I may gain Christ and may be found in Him. In Him. He understands the tremendous... And Paul speaks about this perhaps more than the other apostles, and we're glad for it, to be found in Him. What does it mean to be in Christ? What does it mean, my dear friends? You see, Paul expanded on the words of the Lord Jesus Christ, abide in me and I in you. Paul helps us understand perhaps more than any of the others. It was part of his ministry task, I believe, to help us understand union in Christ. You are united to Christ. And he says, to be found in Him. Christ is in me. I am in Him. I am joined to Jesus Christ for all of the days of my life and then forever. I am in Christ. I am in Christ. To be found in Him. Please notice 9. Again, talking about this glorious fact. Not having a righteousness of my own derived from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ. It's the imputed. You, you, this group knows these words. The imputed righteousness of Christ. When I believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, a righteousness, the Lord's righteousness is given to me, put to my account. Abraham believed God and it was imputed to him for righteousness. He was given a righteousness from God. We have the righteousness of Jesus Christ who perfectly fulfilled the law of God, my dear friends. He says here this, more than this, I... I count the, the surpassing knowledge of Christ. I, I want to be found in Him. The surpassing value of being found in Him. The surpassing value of having a righteousness that is not my own. So there now for there's no condemnation. The righteousness which comes from God on the basis of faith. Verse 9. That. Then he comes to this tremendous climactic, climactic verse. That I may know Him. And the power of His resurrection, the fellowship of His sufferings, being conformed to His death in order that I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. What an astounding statement Paul makes. Here's one way you can read this as we come to verse number 10. When Paul is describing this, he is, he is desiring this conformity to Jesus Christ. Do you desire this? Verse 10, that I may know Him. How? To know Christ intimately. That's what he's saying. To live, secondly, by Christ, resurrection power increasingly. Third, to suffer with Christ personally. And fourth, to conform to Christ's image completely. I'll say it again. I've thought much about Philippians 3.10. It has been a verse that I have lingered on all of my ministry life and all of my believing life. Since I was a young boy, my ambition has been to experience verse 10. I don't know what your ambition is, but if you know Jesus Christ, it, this is it, that I may know Him, number one, intimately. That's the way the Lord designed it. I ask you, do you know the sweetness of fellowship with the Lord Jesus Christ? 
one of the early church fathers who was led to his execution. He was 80 years old. and They marched him off to be... He wouldn't, he wouldn't uh, give incense to the Caesar, the early, early church. And he'd preached for 80 some odd years, an old man, and finally he stands before the official who says, all you have to do, all you have to do is take that incense and say, Caesar's Lord. That's all you have to do. And you can go back to your church. And he said, how could I do such a terrible thing to dishonor the one who's loved me? Do you uh, long to know Christ intimately? Do you live by Christ's resurrection power increasingly? Someone says, well, I'm about to give up. Well, you've got to trust. You've got to live by the power of God. That's what we do. We walk by faith. And we live increasingly in the power of God. This is what Paul is saying. That I may know Him increasingly or intimately, that I might live in the power of the resurrection increasingly, he goes on, and that I might have fellowship in his sufferings personally. Personally suffer as Christ suffered for the sake of the gospel. And that I might be conformed to Christ. He says conformed to his death. We died our sins just like the Lord Jesus died for our sins. Conformity to Christ's image completely. At the end of the day, do you want to be like Jesus Christ more than anything else? What is your great desire? So then Paul goes on to describe this anticipation of running. I've got enough time now. I want to elaborate on this matter of running. Why we run for heaven? Well, run for the hills. We run for heaven. Some of us have got to be dragged to heaven because we love the world so much. Again, what is there down here that's so good? Maybe I'm just old and crusty and I've just gotten too mean in my old age. I'm, it's, it's, it's overvalued. It's overrated. All this mess is overrated. Why do we run for heaven? Well, Paul answers it. He says, and it's a transition. He finishes, he makes the transition in verse 11 after he said all of this about the, the, the overwhelming desire to be in conformity to Christ, the loss of all these things and all the rest. And he's built on this and he says, All of this that I may know Him, the power of His resurrection, fellowship of His sufferings, being conformed to His death in order. For the purpose of attaining to the resurrection from the dead. I've had all, I've seen people, all kinds of preachers do all kinds of calisthenics with this and gymnastics. He's talking about running for heaven, he's talking about the glory of glorification, he's talking about the magnificence of when you have a transformed, glorified body. When you get back 
your glorified body and forever live in a place, a glorious new heaven and new earth with your glorified body. It's coming. We all end the, the thing saying, well, to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord, but your body goes and is deposited. And miraculously, those bodies, your body, your body, who you are now, the way you look. When the Lord Jesus was raised from the dead, He had a glorified body with the nail scars. He ate the fish. He was known. They saw Him for who He was. You will have a resurrected body. Yours. Now, it'll look a lot better than it does now. That's a joke, but I can't hear you out there if you're laughing. It'll be glorified. So that tells me something about what I do in my body now. Glorify God in your body. My body belongs to the Lord. So I don't do things with my body anymore now that I'm saved that I used to do when I was lost. I honor my body so that I might honor God. He does not believe he has attained to perfection. He says, he's, this is all in order to gain the resurrection. That's where we're running to. We're running for heaven. We're running for complete conformity to Jesus Christ. Stay with me. He does not believe he's attained perfection, which comes in the resurrection. Verse 12, not that I have already obtained it or have already become perfect. But I press on. Now there's that word. I wanted to give you this word, press. Diaco. It is to run after something. It's running after something. It's pressing. Yes, it's, as some have said, Paul's image of the athletes in the Olympics. Yes, yes, it's running. It's the image of running. But it is a, it is a, it is a running after someone. Not just a prize, it's someone. It's a beautiful word if you study it. Running after someone. When your children, you play games with them and you run from them and they run after you. We run to heaven because Jesus is there. If, you, if it matters that the Lord is there, you run to heaven. You run to heaven because you press forward to that which is ahead of you. Now Paul gives us this, and we use this a lot now. Let me read it and then I want to make some comments. He says, I press on so that I may lay hold of that which also uh, I was laid hold of by Christ. When I got saved, the Lord got hold of me and you too. And now I want to get hold of Him. That's what Paul's saying. And all that's with it. I want to lay hold of eternal life. I want to hold on to that. I want to reach out and grab that which is eternal that I do not have now. And then he says this very important point. If I'm, press, if I'm running ahead, I'm forgetting the past. This is important for us, brothers and sisters. I... I must pause here. I'm trying to be good with my time, but I must say this. Uh, brethren, I do not regard myself as having laid hold of it, yet one thing I do, 
while I'm pressing, while I'm running to lay hold of Christ and complete conformity to Him, I forget what lies behind. I must tell you as a pastor, in all these years, perhaps the saddest thing is when people don't practice spiritual forgetfulness. The saddest thing is to live your life looking back over your shoulder all the time and reliving your past. It's gone. I told a man who has a miserable past just the other day. A miserable past. He has a miserable past. He said, it's like a museum, my friend. It's frozen in time. You can do nothing about your past except surrender and ask the Lord to forgive you and go forward. Press on. Run the race. Run for heaven. Run for Jesus. We need, we need to practice this matter of forgetting what lies behind. Talked to a couple the other day and they were talking about their marriage. Well, you've got to fight fair. You can't keep bringing up all of this junk that was done 20 years ago. This, this couple knew better. They've been married a long time. And they're fighting about things 20 years ago. 20 years ago? I don't even remember what happened two weeks ago. Especially now that I fell down the steps. I don't even know where I'm at. Where am I? Oklahoma? Forget it. It's done. It's over. I'm running for heaven. I'm not going to turn around. It's a run. I'm running for heaven. I'm running for Jesus. I'm running for heaven. I'm pressing on so that I can lay hold of what I've been laid hold of by Christ. I'm forgetting what lies behind. I'm reaching for it. I'm trying to get it. This is the ambition of a godly life. This is the pursuit of holiness. This is the normal way we live and follow Jesus. We press for it. We're after it. We're running for holiness. We're running for Christ-likeness. We're running for Jesus. We're running for heaven. He presses for it. Paul says, 1 Corinthians 15, 21, For since by a man death came, by a man also came the resurrection of the dead. Praise God, the Lord Jesus Christ. For as in Adam all died, so also in Christ. In Christ all will be made alive. But each in his own order, Christ the first fruits, and after those who are Christ at His coming. Look, I can't expand on this. I did a few weeks ago when I was talking about the finished work of Christ when I dealt with glorification and the great truth and doctrine of the Christian's glorification is not talked about much in the church today. Shame on us for not preaching the truth of the glorification of the believer. But believers, I just give it to you quickly, believers will be glorified. That means they'll be saved from the presence of sin forever. Is anybody happy to hear that tonight? Believers will be glorified, which means they'll be completely conformed to Christ. Completely finished. A finished work. Believers will be glorified and will be glorified with resurrected, renewed, perfect bodies. 
Believers will be glorified and be holy and blameless before God forever. It's what Peter said when I was preaching in 1 Peter. He will bring us to God. We will be brought in holiness and blamelessness. Our glorification, believers will be glorified and we will live in the presence of God in the fullness of joy forever. And believers will be glorified and live forever in the enjoyment, the eternal enjoyment of God. If I keep going, I'll really get wound up. Glorification, my dear friends. This is what He wants. Do you? Or would you rather stay here? Run for heaven for the rest of the days you have. And don't turn back. So, Paul gives us this, I press on to the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ 14. And then he says, Therefore, as many as us are perfect, you know the, you know the word perfect, it does not mean that you're perfect. It means you're mature. I'm talking to you who are mature tonight. As many of you as are mature, if you hear me now as I finish, have this attitude. This is what mature Christians think like. This isn't what baby Christians think about. This is what mature believers think about. Running for heaven. Running for heaven. Every believer must have the attitude of Christ-like humility and the attitude of pursuing completely conformity to Christ. Count your past confidence as complete loss for knowing Jesus Christ. Count your greatest gain to know Jesus Christ, His power, His fellowship, conformity. Pursue Christ and, coming com and your coming complete conformity to Christ in the resurrection from the dead. Before I read 1 Corinthians 15, now Hebrews, now Hebrews uh, chapter 12 makes more sense. When you read it in light of Philippians. This is why Paul wrote the book of Hebrews. You have all of these indicators. Here's another one. These images. They're Pauline. Therefore, since we have so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us also lay aside every encumbrance and the sin which so easily entangles us, and let us walk to heaven. No. Let us run with endurance. The race that is set before us. Fix your eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of faith, who for the joy set before Him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. We run for heaven to see Jesus. In a moment... In the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable, and we will be changed. For this perishable must put on imperishable. And this, that's the exchange. And this mortal must put on immortality, but when this perishable puts on the imperishable, and this mortal puts on the immortality, then will come about the saying that is written... Death has been swallowed up in victory. Can anybody say amen?
That's what we look forward to. Come, Lord Jesus. Heavenly Father, we thank You for Paul's testimony to us tonight. We pray that You might give us the attitude, the commitment, the urgency to run to You for complete conformity, to lay hold of You and to experience the transformation that comes in knowing Christ. Forgive us when we run with the entanglements of our past. Forgive us when we run with the entanglements of anger and carnality. Forgive us when we run with the entanglement of lust and giving in again and yielding to our wicked old flesh. Help us, Holy Spirit of God, cut loose the entanglements that we might run in the way of your commandments as you enlarge our heart. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. God bless you. Good to see you. Say hello to somebody on your way out. Run for heaven. Jesus is coming. Have a good week. See you Sunday. God bless you.